Our summaries this week contain three cases on state and local government, all from the Arkansas Supreme Court. In City of Fort Smith, Arkansas v. Marriott, 2023, Art 51, the Arkansas Supreme Court reversed a judgment against the City of Fort Smith where a class action alleged illegal exaction and unjust enrichment because Fort Smith charged customers for recycling but had placed items in a landfill. Justice Wood explained, quote, Jennifer Marriott, on behalf of the citizens and taxpayers of Fort Smith, the class, sued the city of Fort Smith after discovering that Fort Smith was dumping nearly all its recyclables in a landfill. Marriott claimed that Fort Smith continued collection of monthly sanitation charges, which purportedly included fees for recycling, was an illegal exaction and that Fort Smith had been unjustly enriched. The circuit court agreed and awarded the class $745,057.85. Fort Smith appeals the merits, and we reverse and dismiss. Marriott filed this class action lawsuit against Fort Smith for the misuse of sanitation fees. She raised two claims, illegal exaction and unjust enrichment. Marriott claimed that Fort Smith collected monthly sanitation fees from its residential customers but did not actually process the recyclables. The circuit court held a bench trial on the illegal exaction and unjust enrichment claims. It concluded that the sanitation fees constituted an illegal exaction in violation of Article 16, Section 13 of the Arkansas Constitution because recycling was a separate benefit and service paid for by residents that they did not receive. It also concluded that Fort Smith was unjustly enriched because the class paid money expecting to receive recycling services. It awarded the class $745,057.85 in damages. Fort Smith appealed this judgment. Illegal Exaction Here, the circuit court agreed the fee was fair and reasonable, but found that an illegal exaction occurred because of Fort Smith's flagrant deceit. The circuit court held that citizens paid a sanitation fee for what they thought included recycling. Fort Smith then committed an illegal exaction when it failed to disclose it wasn't using the fee for that purpose. This reasoning is emotionally compelling but fails to satisfy the second prong of the test. Once a fee is determined fair and reasonable, the question is whether it bears a reasonable relationship to the benefits conferred. Fort Smith used the fee for its intended purpose. The Fort Smith Ordinance set a single fee for the cost of residential collection and disposal of solid waste, recycling, and yard waste. And Fort Smith spent the funds on the collection and disposal of solid waste, recycling, and yard waste. No evidence showed that the fee did not bear a reasonable relationship to the benefits conferred. The Circuit Court's findings that Fort Smith failed to notify the public, deceived citizens, and destroyed public trust are indisputable but those facts do not make the sanitation fee's relationship to the services less reasonable. Also, there was no evidence of unauthorized use of the fees. The charges were maintained in the Sanitation Enterprise Fund, which Fort Smith used to operate the sanitation department. The fee wasn't collected for sanitation services and then spent for non-sanitation purposes, nor were the residents charged a separate fee specifically designated for recycling their recyclables, which was spent on other services. Fort Smith charged a unified fee that Fort Smith could and did spend within the sanitation department. 
Thus, even though Fort Smith continued to collect recyclables and general trash separately and appeared to run a recycling program, it still used the sanitation feed to collect and dispose of sanitation. Because the circuit court's finding that the fee was an illegal exaction was clearly erroneous, we reverse and dismiss the illegal exaction claim. Unjust Enrichment The circuit court granted Marriott's claim for unjust enrichment because it concluded that a portion of the sanitation fee funded the recycling program. The circuit court's order explained, The class paid money expecting, in part, to receive recycling services. Further, Fort Smith accepted that money knowing the expectations of those paying the money and that the reasonable value of the expected services has been established. It awarded damages in the amount Fort Smith paid to run the curbside recycling operation, even though it was not recycling. On appeal, Fort Smith argues that Marriott presented no evidence on which restitution for unjust enrichment can be based. We agree. We agree with Fort Smith that Marriott's restitution evidence was merely speculative. To meet her burden, Marriott had to show what unjust benefit Fort Smith gained that it must return. Marriott did not introduce any evidence of the unjust value of the benefit Fort Smith received from the class. Again, the class paid a sanitation fee for sanitation services. But Marriott offered no evidence that Fort Smith gained anything from its deception. While Fort Smith's decision to suspend the program conflicts with the public policies of both Fort Smith and the state of Arkansas, no evidence showed that Fort Smith profited or otherwise benefited from its actions. Unjust enrichment does not exist to punish, but to restore wrongful benefits, and there was no evidence that Fort Smith retained financial benefits from its actions that could be returned to the class. End of quote. Judge Womack concurred, quote, The city's deception notwithstanding, the fee, an exaction, was not illegal. Because the recycling program was voluntary and offered to the city's residents at no extra cost, Marriott paid the same fee as a resident who did not participate in the city's recycling program. Absent a municipal ordinance to the contrary, no law requires a city to maintain a recycling program, let alone a recycling program that actually recycles 100% of the materials collected. See Art Code and Section 89203A, requiring cities, among other governmental entities, to establish a recycling program for government-generated but not resident-generated recyclables. In fact, state law explicitly vests cities with the discretion to implement recycling programs. End of quote. Art Code and Section 86211E, as quoted in the concurrence, provides... The governing body of a municipality shall have the right to establish policies for and enact laws concerning all phases of the operation of a solid waste management system, including the character and kinds of waste accepted at the disposal site, the separation of waste according to type by those generating them prior to collection, the type of container for storage of wastes, the prohibition of the diverting of recyclable materials by persons other than generator or collector of the recyclable material, the prohibition of burning of wastes, the pretreatment of waste, and such other rules as may be necessary or appropriate, so long as the laws, policies, and rules are consistent with, in accordance with, and not more restrictive than those adopted by, under, or pursuant to this subchapter, or any laws, rules, or orders adopted by state law, or 
or incorporated by reference from federal law, the Commission, or the Regional Solid Waste Management Boards or Regional Solid Waste Management Districts. End of quote. End of decision. In Gibson versus the Little Rock Downtown Neighborhood Association, 2023 ARC 45, the Arkansas Supreme Court, in reversing a summary judgment order and remanding, considered the effect of Amendment 101 to the Arkansas Constitution allowing funding for roadway construction. The Supreme Court previously declared it improper for the defendants to use funds of Amendment 91 of the Constitution, approved in November 2012, for other than four-lane roadways. Guanajuato v. Gibson, 2020, Art 352. In the present appeal, Justice Hudson explained, quote, The Circuit Court entered an order on February 8, 2020, granting summary judgment in favor of the highway appellants and the state defendants on Appley's Amendment 91 illegal exaction claim. The court found that the highway appellants and the state defendants did not spend Amendment 91 funds improperly by widening four-lane highways and that Appley's claim was also barred by res judicata. However, the circuit court granted summary judgment in favor of Appley's on their Amendment 101 claim, concluding that Amendment 101 was subject to the same four-lane restriction applicable to Amendment 91. The court permanently enjoyed the highway appellants from expending any taxes derived from Amendment 101 on highway projects of more than four lanes, including the I-30 crossing project. The court found that its opinion on this issue was not advisory due to the highway appellants' previous pledge and commitment to use $350 million of Amendment 101 revenue on that project. The highway appellants timely appealed from the portion of the circuit court's order granting summary judgment to Appellees on their Amendment 101 claim. Appellees also filed a notice of cross-appeal from the circuit court's ruling regarding Amendment 91. However, they have indicated in their brief that they have abandoned this cross-appeal. Thus, the only issue before us is the circuit court's ruling pertaining to Amendment 101. End of quote. Justiciable Controversy While the defendants argued there was no justiciable controversy because the amendment does not take effect until July 1, 2023, the circuit court reasoned there was a justiciable controversy. Quote, According to the exhibits attached to Appley's Statement of Undisputed Facts, RDOT has already committed $350 million of revenue from Amendment 101 to the I-30 crossing project, and an amended transportation improvement plan was approved by Metroplan on the basis of this commitment. Amendment 101 was approved by the voters in 2022, and collection of revenue pursuant to this amendment is imminent. End of quote. The opinion noted, quote, one does not have to await the consummation of threatened injury to obtain preventative relief. If the injury is certainly impending, that is enough. End of quote. Quoting Babbitt versus Union Farm Workers National Union, 442 U.S. 289. Whether the amendment disallows work on non-four-lane highways. Quote, the highway appellants contend that the language of Amendment 101 is plain and unambiguous and that it does not contain the same four-lane restriction as Amendment 91. We agree. Amendment 101 clearly states that its intent is to continue the tax levied under Amendment 91 to provide special revenue for use of maintaining, repairing, and improving the state's system of highways, county roads, and city streets, 
Arkansas Constitution Amendment 101, Section 1C. No language in the intent section of Amendment 101 or in the remainder of the amendment indicates that the funds collected may only be utilized on four-lane highway improvements. In fact, the only mention of four-lane highways is in reference to the prior tax levied under Amendment 91, Arkansas Constitution Amendment 101, Section 1A. We note that this is in stark contrast to Amendment 91, which includes the term four-lane highway more than 30 times. We will not add words to a statutory or constitutional provision to convey a meaning that is not there. Thus, because the Circuit Court erred in its interpretation of Amendment 101, we reverse the Circuit Court's grant of summary judgment to Appellees and remand for entry of an order consistent with this opinion. Given our decision, it is unnecessary to address the Highway Appellant's argument that the Circuit Court erred by issuing an injunction. End of quote. Justice Wood concurred without a separate opinion. A dissent by Chief Judge Kemp resounded, quote, the purpose of the declaratory judgment statutory scheme is to settle and to afford relief from uncertainty and insecurity with respect to rights, status, and other legal relations, Art Code and Section 16.111.112. In the case at Bar, there is no justiciable controversy at the present time. Amendment 101 will not take effect until July 1, 2023. Pursuant to Amendment 1, Section 4A of the Arkansas Constitution, the half-cent sales and use tax, has not yet been collected, and accordingly, Amendment 101 revenue has not yet been expended. Any pledge of those funds made by the highway appellants was not set in stone. This court has long held that courts do not sit for the purpose of determining speculative and abstract questions of law or laying down rules for future conduct. Thus, I would hold that the circuit court erred in ruling that a pledge of future tax dollars presents a justiciable controversy, and I would reverse and dismiss the circuit court's grant of summary judgment to Appellees. End of quote. End of decision. In Osage Creek Cultivation, LLC versus Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration, 2023, Art 47, the Arkansas Supreme Court, in dismissing an appeal over the Department of Finance Administration's Medical Marijuana Commission's grant of a cultivation license, held a suit was barred by sovereign immunity. Justice Wood explained, quote, The circuit court did find that the appellant's claim survived sovereign immunity. We disagree. The state's sovereign immunity derives from Article 5, Section 20 of the Arkansas Constitution, the state of Arkansas shall never be made defendant in any of her courts. We have held that lawsuits seeking financial damages from the state are barred by sovereign immunity. End of quote. The opinion concluded this decided the appeal and it was unnecessary to address other arguments in this action seeking declaratory and injunctive relief. One of those was standing. Justice Hudson concurred and reasoned the litigants had standing to challenge the license, which should have been considered, but was in agreement that immunity was a bar to this suit. Quote, As an initial matter, I agree with that the circuit court had subject matter jurisdiction under the declaratory judgment statute to consider whether the state acted ultraviaries in awarding a cultivation license to Bennett Nolan. Therefore, I join Section 2A of the opinion in holding that the circuit court erred in finding otherwise. However, I cannot endorse the shortcuts the plurality takes thereafter, 
and I do not join Section 2B. The plurality summarily finds that the state is entitled to sovereign immunity and deftly sidesteps the issue of appellant standing. Below and on appeal, appellees have challenged appellate standing, which is a threshold issue. Therefore, we must first address standing before considering whether sovereign immunity applies. End of quote. A second concurrence by Justice Wynn concluded appellants lacked standing. Quote, I agree with the majority that the circuit court had subject matter jurisdiction over appellants' claim that the state acted ultra vires in issuing the River Valley Cultivation License. But I also think that the circuit court correctly determined that this claim was not barred by sovereign immunity because I would affirm the circuit court's dismissal order on the basis that appellants lack standing, I respectfully concur. As the majority explains, a lawsuit seeking declaratory or injunctive relief against the state is not barred by sovereign immunity if the complaint alleges that the state acted illegally, unconstitutionally, or ultra-virus. The majority holds that the complaint in this case failed to state facts sufficient to overcome sovereign immunity. Even accepting appellant's loss of market share allegation as true, as we must, I do not think that appellants have a legally protectable interest sufficient to confer standing. Appellants already hold cultivation licenses, which are not at stake. Appellants were aware at the time they received their licenses that Amendment 98 authorizes the issuance of up to eight cultivation licenses, so they had a legally protectable interest in, at most, a one-eighth market share. They never had a legally protectable interest in a one-fifth or one-seventh market share. And even if River Valley's license was rescinded, the MMC could turn around and issue the eighth cultivation license to the next applicant in line. End of quote. Justice Womack dissented, quote, The decision to affirm the circuit court's dismissal because of sovereign immunity is correct, but the majority's analysis is flawed. Further, because sovereign immunity is immunity from suit, the analysis should begin on this point and end once it is determined that immunity applies. If a party is immune from suit, there is no reason to evaluate issues of subject matter jurisdiction under the Declaratory Judgment Act or standing because they become irrelevant immediately upon the termination of sovereign immunity. The circuit court was simply without jurisdiction to consider Osage Creek's lawsuit because Article 5, Section 20 affords the state immunity from suit in most instances, and none of the limited, constitutionally-based exceptions was present here. End of quote. End of decision.